Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I went to the house of Nate Walker, who is a illustrator, fine artist, and sculptor. Uh, he's been working for himself for, I believe he said, almost 18 years. Nate's a guy I went to high school with. Um, you know, we were both in a lot of art classes together, and... Um, you know, it was great to catch up with him and kind of talk about what being a professional artist was like. Uh, I've also, I've talked about it before, but I am doing a uh, uh, 51 state, 51 day road trip. Uh, if you want to be part of that, funding that, uh, go to thisismytruthpodcast.com. There's a link at the top of the page. You can click on that. Uh, and yeah, now listen to me talk to my longtime friend, Nate Walker. That has been a widely debated thing between me and other Star Wars nerds is how to pronounce the bounty hunter name. Is it Bosch? Bausch? Uh, Boosh. Boosh. Frank? You know, because they never, it's so many of the Star Wars characters, they never name them in the film. And like, it's it's funny, like particularly guys our age, I don't want to, I shouldn't discriminate. People our age, although most obsessives with Star Wars who are, you know, over the age of thirty are usually guys. Yeah. Um, they 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 love to correct people when they have the names wrong or something like that. They're like Ugh, it's this, and I'm like, you only know that because you know the toys and all the the books and everything. Because right. like most of the characters in the Star Wars films are never mentioned by name, particularly in the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was, like, the whole thing with the bounty hunter figures with four L-O-M, although I actually say four LOM because that's what I said when I was a kid, and Zuckus, which is the, they were the the droid and then the, the kind of bug-looking guy with the sand robes that looked very similar to yep. each other. On the original Kenner figures, they had the names backwards, so um. the droid was named Zuckus, and the, the other guy was 4-L-O-M. Uh-huh. And then they've corrected it since, but like people are like, well, canon is this, but purists call him... The, and I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, you know... It's like, how do, you, how do you pronounce it with, like, three broken teeth after you tell me? Right, exactly. And I've also... Like, I've watched these YouTube videos, uh, a bunch where they're talk, they talk about the new, you know, the, the Last Jedi, and they're like... It's cool because there's new ATAT walkers, and I'm like, it, they they were ad ads when I was yeah. a kid. They're, that's I don't give a shit. Yeah, They're fucking ad ads. Yeah. Um, but going back to the pen thing, um, I try and do when I'm when I'm at work because I have a lot of downtime. I try and do at least like a sketch every day, and I try and mix it up doing like trying out different styles and stuff. But I like doing like real real sloppy, loose pen sketches a lot, mm-hmm. and those ones work really well for mm-hmm. that, especially when I do uh, 
I like I I don't know. There's something like I never got really the the adult coloring book thing. I mean, I, I guess that's not true. I get why it's a fad all of a sudden, but I haven't heard of this. No, no. Um, is this people who are just like this is a, to relive something? Or? No, this is a huge trend in the last like two years. And if you go into like Michaels or Blix, they have whole end caps for adult coloring books and I don't mean like x-rated oh, coloring books. Yeah. Uh it's it's a lot of those like mandala things. Right. And uh and, and it's funny because I'll see people post not so much pictures of what they do but just spent 2 hours with my adult coloring book tonight. It's it's great to be able to get creative and I and I never and I never comment on it cuz I don't want to be shitty about it yeah. but I'm like that's not creativity and I'm right. and, and I'm sure it fires synapses in a part of the brain that are good for you but it's like it seems like just mindless yeah. to me but um I also like doing the these pen and ink drawings I a lot of times I'll um like I'll do the basic outline uh, and I, and I, for my artwork, I do a lot with like negative space. Like I use more, like I paint on a lot of black canvases because yeah. I'm very lazy and you only have to paint a little bit then. No, it's um, smart. Uh, well, it's great. And then you can just like, <laughs> right. Well, that's a big the, the, the trickiest thing for me is like finding the, the you know, making the gradations of it. Um, uh, but I'll do a lot of the s- similar type of things with that. So I'll, Maybe forty percent of the page will be the detail of, you know, it's usually a person, and then the rest is all black. But it's I'll use the pen and just sit there for sometimes hours. But it's it kind of it'll end up putting me in like a weird like trance for mm-hmm. a while, um, which is relaxing. And then I'll look over and someone will be standing at the edge of the kiosk. They're like, uh, "I didn't want to bother you." I'm like, "How long have you been standing there?" Like forty minutes. <laughs> like Jesus. <laughs> no, it's usually like a minute or two, but. Uh, um, yeah, I really like those shitty pens and I don't even know what the brand is. It's my, my boss, like every three months will buy a box of like a yeah. hundred of them. I'm going to be like three of them are mine. Yeah. Yep. Just use them until they're just gone. There's something amazing about finding a good pen that just like makes you want to use it. Yeah. And, and I've bought so many, you know, like liquid gel pens and stuff like that at art stores being like, this one's going to be great. And I'll use it and be like, eh, whatever. Yeah. It just goes in a pile. I mean, I, I have a little tin that I keep pens and pencils in. I've also never been, like, people have bought me artist pencils, like the sets with the different, you know, mm. hardnesses and whatnot. But I really like using shitty number two pencils and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, because most of, most of the time, particularly with pencil, that I use pencil you're never you're you're not going to see much of the pencil work in the finished product because I usually right. paint over it. Yep. It's just a guideline, but I don't know. I'm just kind of like, uh, I mean, I know plenty of artists who use just everyday writing implements like house paint to paint. You know, lots oh, of yeah. other stuff. Yep. It's, I, but it's funny. I got uh, I get I get shamed or attempted shamed at Michael's two weeks ago because they. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Michaels because they have a lot of stuff. Some of it's good, a lot of it's garbage. Um, but they always do the coupons. Yeah. Um, so I end up getting like 
like if there's ever something I need, I very, very rarely actually pay full price for it. Yeah. But I had a coupon for, or for, I think it was like 60% off. And it said all, all fine acrylic, uh, paints. And I, and I use those shitty little dollar 69 craft paint things. And so the, the coupon didn't apply and they're like, that's not fine art. And I'm like, well, I use it to make art that I sell on commission. So like, what's your definition of, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, um, you know, fine art paint. And they're like, if you're using this, what you're making is not fine art. And I was like, Oh, Oh really? Okay. Wow. I just thought it was fun. And, and I didn't, you know, it was 60% off a dollar 69. Yeah. So who gives a shit? But like, I was quite protest worthy. No, no. It was just kind of like, uh, okay. Um, I don't know. So, is it, it, this, this is interesting to me because of all the people that I've talked to for this so far, because this is number, this is my 28th conversation for this podcast. Oh, we've been recording since we sat down. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought we were just chatting. <laughs> well, it's funny too because like, that's pretty much what this is, is just chatting. And I have to kind of like check myself sometimes because I realize when I'm recording, I oftentimes get a cadence to my voice that I like, like some part of my brain's aware that I'm recording, Mm. even if, and, and, and so far with the exception of one person, they were all people that I've known beforehand right. and that's sort that was sort of the point of why i started doing this because i would make on purpose time to like hang out with people get coffee with people get drinks with people and inevitably i'd end up talking about you know part of that conversation with someone else later you know be it two days later a month from then oh my friend you know nate does this or my friend nate did that and you know over and over people would be like oh you know a lot of interesting people and and I do, I, I know a lot of interesting people, who, particularly artistic people um, who do lots of different things. And I just thought it would be kind of cool to capture just like a slice of conversation. So it's not really like a, it's not supposed to be like an all encapsulating, like this is who right. Nathan Walker illustrator is. And what so you're not going to turn into Terry Gross in like three minutes. And... Well, I might, okay. I might, I can't make that problem. Well, I mean, and this is interesting for me too, because of all the people that I've talked to so far, you're one of the people that I've known the longest. Um, uh, and I don't remember, I was thinking back yesterday about it. I couldn't remember, because you grew up in Brentwood? Stratum. Stratum, okay. So Stratum goes to the junior high, right? They start in seventh grade. They do. We went, uh, yeah, we went K through six. Okay. Because um, I, I moved to Exeter midway through sixth grade. Um, and I don't, I, I, I couldn't remember when we first met, but I mean, we knew each other in high school and I think we probably were aware of each other in junior high, but right. I, I mean, that time is so fuzzy to me now. Uh, I mean, cause we're going back, you know, 25 years at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was one of those things. I, it, it's funny because I was talking to, uh, do you remember Jason Rowe? Yep. Yeah, I was, I was it, he and his wife were just celebrating their 10th anniversary this weekend and they, cause they live up in Vermont and I had a picture that someone had scanned for me 
a few years ago down in one of the art rooms in the high school. And I, and I hadn't looked at it in at least a year or so, and I could have sworn you were in the picture. And then, because I was going to send it to him and be like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to podcast with uh, Nate Walker next week. And it's not, it's actually me, Jason, Chuck Vetter, and Damian Bolger. And then I was, I was trying to figure out why I would have associated it with you, but I think you may have actually been the one who took the picture. I think my ghost is in most pictures. That sounds right. That's kind of how I get around. Yeah. But it was always one of those things that, um, it was funny. Unfortunately, I went to, uh, uh, Joe Bragg's uh, memorial service last last week. Uh, it, it wasn't unfortunate that I went. It was unfortunate that I had there was a need to go. But um, someone had made a comment that, um, you know, they're like, "Oh yeah, you were one of the art guys in our class." Um, to me, and and your name came up too, and it was. Uh, uh, but you were the one that because because I did one semester. Uh, in the art department at UNH and dropped out and then didn't draw for almost 10 years where you obviously have kept going with art pretty much since, you know, I mean, you were doing it in high school and you've done it pretty much since. I mean, uh, I mean, I know a little bit of your, your story as far as like your artistic journey, but like, so where'd you go? Where did you go to school for college? Um, where didn't I go to school for yeah. college? I went to like five different colleges, yeah. honestly. Um, I mean, if you want a true origin story, I remember one of the first sculptures I ever made in like third grade, a little soap dish with a mermaid on it. Yeah. And then I don't think I ever stopped since then. Like, yeah. It's been going pretty strong. But school, uh, yeah, I went to UNH for three years. Okay. And I did a semester abroad in Australia. Did you do 90? Or did you go right after yeah. high school? Yeah, 94 to 97, I think. Were you in the art program? Uh, I was dual major. Yeah. So I was uh, environmental conservation and um, art. So you and I were actually in the same art program for a semester, and then I dropped out. Okay. So did you go right after high school? I went right after high school. Yeah. Yeah. But I I mean, I definitely wasn't ready for for college. I just... (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just couldn't get enough of it. I took eight years to get a bachelor's. Well... Um, Mostly just because I love debt. Who doesn't, right? It's the greatest. (laughs) Um, So you went to Australia? Yeah. So I did a semester abroad. I was going to go to uh, Madagascar. Okay. But I got freaked out by the list of immunizations you needed because you can catch pretty much every disease in Madagascar. Right. So I'm like, all right, let's see where I can go that I don't need a year of drugs beforehand. And Australia was pretty clean and easy. When were you in Australia? I was there fall semester of 97. I got you. Which is funny because I just recovered from hand surgery. I sliced open all the tendons in my hand. Really? So my last semester at UNH, before then, I was taking a sculpture class. I was taking Japanese. I was taking all this stuff where I needed to use my hand. And it was in a a giant boxer mitt, basically, for How'd you slice your hand? Uh, Just being an idiot and and playing with a knife and stabbing things that shouldn't have been. Fair enough. Yeah. Um... So anyways, I, I was in Australia. Uh, I went there to study environmental conservation. And um, towards the end of the time there, we had a month to do an independent project. And they were like, just pick whatever you want. 
And the whole time I was there, we're all, you know, a bunch of science students. I was always doodling, I was always drawing. And uh, someone was like, you should do something with art. And I was like, all right. So I, I kind of looked to see how art and science can work together to like do, you know, whether it's uh, awaring, awareness to the public or working, like at mm -hmm. the time I was very into like causes. So, you know, it was about the Great Barrier Reef, it was about right. whatever. Um, but there was like one, one like shining moment where uh, a friend of mine from Hawaii who was on the program, we were both sitting at this gas station late at night, like working like crazy fiends. And these like punk kids like came out of nowhere. It's like walking up towards us, like obviously looking for a fun time. Right. And they get right up to us and then they see that I'm drawing and they're like, dude, oh, that's so cool. What are you drawing? Like yeah. they just like immediately were like completely disarmed. Mm. Um, and to this day, like, it's just like this sentient moment where I'm just like, all right, that was, that was it. Like I saw like the impact that art, like I always sure. knew that I liked it. Right. But I never, you know, I never really saw it like bridging, like with the total stranger, this gap. Yeah, I can, it's funny that you say that because I've definitely, particularly if I'm like, I'll bring watercolors with me to work and Oftentimes, if I do a sketch that I want to paint, I will paint that work because water. I, I get one of those really cheap little flip-up sets. That's you know, it's just the little, you know, they're five dollars at Michaels. But I actually really like them because they travel really yeah. easy. Um, not the greatest colors in the world, but whatever. Uh, but if I'm sitting there painting, people will sometimes stop by and be like, "Oh, that's cool," and I'm like, "Dang!" Like I, I get like not self-conscious about the art, but like. Cause I kind of like forget that I'm doing it. But yeah. I'm just like, Oh, this, this made someone talk to me who definitely wouldn't stop to say anything to me. Right. Otherwise. So yeah. 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 It's a great, like just icebreaker. Like for sure. Yeah. It's one of those things too that, um, cause I remember in high school being not super jealous, but there was a bit of jealousy uh, when I was younger that um, your like your form and technique was just better than mine and I was like uh, how come he's better and having no thought process about the fact that you worked at it a lot more than I did it's you know because a lot of people I think just assume artistic ability is just something you're born with right. and and it's I mean you get better by doing it more right. by practicing. I mean, in my case, I didn't know how to speak until I was 12. So right. I was just kind of like an X-Men thing. Like that was my power was <laughs> to express myself via art. <laughs> that I still sense. can't really speak. So that's why I do it. Um, but no, honestly, I, you know, same thing for me. Like there were people that I saw when I was in school right. where I was just like, ah, like, why can't I be that good? Or why can't I draw a hand that way or the expressions that this person gets. Right. Like, there's always something, you know, I guess that's kind of a good like spark to. It's, it's interesting for me though, because sometime in the last decade or so, like I still have that initial thought process, but it's not, it's not jealousy or anger, which I think it was in my adolescence um, where now it's like, Oh wow, this person's really good at that. I got to talk to them and like see what I can learn from them and figure out how to get better myself, yeah. which it, and again, that's sort of how a lot of these conversations started is not necessarily, I want to do what they're doing, but 
here's someone who excels at their craft, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I want to see what, like, I'd love to talk to them and find out like what, what some, some of their best practices are and, you know, what hasn't worked for them and, you know, yeah, shit yeah. like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share anything I can. But one thought that just came to mind was um, art school for yeah. me was like one of those aha moments where I was just like, it's not just being able to draw human forms. Mm -hmm. Like you can be mad, crazy, skillful artist and make baskets or, you know, right. carve rocks to look like rocks. Like, <laughs> like there's just like, there's so many different ways. And I tell that to people all the time. They're like, oh, I can't draw a straight line. Oh, I can't draw a person. I'm like, who cares? Like, right. there's so many ways you can do art. Sure. Sure. And they just, it doesn't even dawn on them that like, oh, I don't have to paint like Michelangelo. I can do my own thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, to equate that to like music, there's people who are, you know, I think have a natural knack for it. And then there's some people who can sit down and have an ease with an instrument that others don't have. But then there's people who technically aren't, you know, a musician, quote unquote, at all, but like particularly with electronic music, who can create something that can have just as powerful an effect on the listener as someone who went to Berkeley, someone, right. you know, someone who's been playing since they were two years old and, and that's creative as well. So yeah, yeah. there are different things. Um, one of the, there's a lot of things I remember from school, but one of the things that always kind of stuck out to me, one of the teachers that I had said in, in terms of like your end product, like the art that you're making, um, is it something that you want to hang on your wall? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if anyone likes it. It doesn't matter if it's good enough in X, Y, or Z category. Yeah. But if it's something that you're passionate about, that you put the time and the effort into it, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to show this off. Mm -hmm. And just like you said with the music, it can reach people because they see that effort. They see that passion that went into sure. it. Sure. Um, jumping back a minute, were you... So when you were in Australia, uh, what part of Australia were you in? We were in... Northern Queensland. Okay. Um, did, you, did you know that Aaron Kitteridge was over there at the same time? I think I heard that after the fact. Yeah. I know also um, Tara Schroeder okay. ended up doing the same program that I did like a year after. Or oh, something. interesting. Yeah. Well, it's because uh, Aaron still lives over there. Yes. Um, okay. I. It's funny. Like, uh, she's commissioned some paintings for me over the past couple of years and. Um, you know, I sent her some, some some cookies and stuff from here that they can't get over there. Um, but They're called Bickies over there. Bickies. Well, she sent me a package of. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name. Of it. it was a bunch of candy from yeah. Australia, um, and my wallet, which is now starting to fall apart, but is the best wallet I've ever had. Uh, but. Um, you know, she had messaged me last week um, when she heard about Joe and was, you know, understandably upset and ended up um, video calling me, um, which I, it's funny because she video called me and it was like eight o'clock in the morning here, but it was like 10 o'clock at night yeah. there. And I picked up and hung up by accident. And then I was like, huh, okay. So I called her back found out that she had called me by accident, but we ended up talking for 
probably about 10, 15 minutes. And I realized it was the first, like, even though we've been communicating fairly regularly for the last like five years or so, I realized it's the first time we had actually spoken mm. in a while. And it's funny because she has a very strong Australian accent really? right now. But I mean, she's been living there 21 years, yeah. so, you know, half of her life at right. this point. So if I ever had to move anywhere, yeah. that would probably be like top of the list. It's one of those places that, um, that's on my, in the next five years, want to yeah. go, but I want to, I want to go with at least a month, but probably six weeks worth of time. Cause, uh, what is it like? It's like a 13 or 14 hour flight, something like that. Uh, I mean, if, if you fly probably direct, I think it, I think when I did it, it was like, it was you go from stops. Hawaii there. No, it was straight from LA. Um, but I think I was like traveling for almost 21 hours. It was mm. just insane. But yeah, it's a long, it's a long haul. Yeah. And I mean, just a regular trip. Uh, like two of my brothers live in Europe and I've gone over there a couple times and the, the jet lag really kind of lasts about a day and a half yeah. on each side. So I can't even imagine what it's like there. Um, but I mean, again, if I'm going to go over there, I'd probably want to do Japan and stuff like right. that too. So, right. um, You've been over there, right? Not to Japan, no. Really? No, that's on my list too. Did you go to New Zealand while you were there? No. Nope. Nope. I always knew I'd go back. I think I yeah. was saving it. I had some friends who were on the trip who did go to New Zealand. Yeah. Like, but we were kind of like, you know, the visa was only good for so long. Right. Uh, it was the end of like the year, so it was like Christmas time. And, um, but it's funny, like, as far as like uh, getting to Japan, like a lot of Australia is actually... Um, the playground of Japan. Yeah. They own islands. They own like everything. So yeah. it's, it's pretty cool to have mm. the, the culture there too. Did you do, did you explore much of Australia? When you yeah. Were so we were in a very non-traditional college. Like it was spend two weeks in the rainforest, spend two weeks on an island in the Great Barrier Reef, spend oh, wow. two weeks with an Aboriginal guide in the outback. And like, yeah, that was it. Like one of our instructors, the first day, he had grown up in, in the rainforest. Australia has like the oldest rainforest in the world. It's like a world heritage site. Like mm. it's amazing. And uh, he had grown up in the rainforest, never wore shoes his entire life, uh, washed his hair with berries that he found in the woods. Um, very first like lecture, we're just sitting behind this like hut and he stops talking and he like shoots up a tree and it's like dusk. So it's barely any light. And he comes down and he's holding this giant python. He's like, oh, this is an Amethystine python. And he's, like, giving us the whole, like, spiel about it. Yeah. He had, like, discovered possums. He had, like, them named after him. Huh. It was just a crazy, crazy time. I was yeah. I was just going to ask you before you told that story if you saw any snakes there. Oh, yeah. We saw we saw all sorts of deadly snakes. We saw deadly sharks. We saw cassowaries, which could cut you in half. What are they called? Cassowary? I don't know what it's, it's, like, uh, it's like an emu. Okay except it has like a big horn, almost like a shark fin on its head, and they're dark blue. It's a bird? It doesn't, yep, size of like an ostrich, except they live in the rainforest. Jesus. And they have giant talons, sort of like the velociraptors, and they've been known to just, you know, cut dogs in half, basically, that uh, attack them. Are they aggressive? They're not overly aggressive unless, like everything else, they have offspring near them. They're not aggressive unless they see you. Unless, <laughs> unless they're awake. Right. When they are sleeping, they're usually pretty safe. Pretty tough. Yeah. Hmm. But I mean, even the cute things, like the uh, um, the platypus, they actually have a deadly talon that's... that's yeah, or, yeah, or, or poisonous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like everything over there will kill you. 
Did you see platypus in the wild? No, we looked. Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty elusive. We saw like just like them swimming, but yeah. we didn't see them like crawling around. The, the duck beaver, the elusive yeah. Australian duck beaver. <laughs> um, so that was that's one of the things that because I, I have a severe snake phobia. Like I don't hate snakes, but but for like you said, you know, it's a python. Um, python's a constrictor, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, constrictor, like, usually the bigger they are, like, the ones that can actually really kill the shit out of you, Yeah, don't bother me. Um, I mean, we were in, uh, I went to Ecuador in 93, summer between our junior and senior year, and, you know, we saw anaconda in the wild and in the Amazon. Wow. Didn't freak me out yeah. at all. And, uh, but, like, a garter snake, like, can't right. handle it, can't handle it. <laughs> I just don't understand how something with no legs can move that fast. I know, right? It freaks me out. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i sure I could get over it. I just, I'm part of the fact that I lived in Arizona for four years and the rattlesnakes. didn't see a single rattlesnake in oh, the world. Really? So, but I also never went outside because <laughs> of that. Well, you evaporate in like 20 oh, seconds, right? It's so fucking hot there. Yeah. Like, And that whole it's a dry heat thing is oh, yeah. horseshit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, part it's of the still year, hot. Well, yeah, you know, like, I don't care how dry it is when it's 115 degrees. It's, but the thing is, like monsoon season lasts four years, or four, it feels like four years, four months out of the year, and so you have 115 to 120 degree temperatures with 90 percent humidity too. So mm. it's just like, like you're like you're not even bathing during those months. You're just rinsing off, right? Because like, and that was why I ended up. Moving back was I, I initially left because we had had that ice storm a few years. Yeah, it was like 2009 now, um, and I was living on the beach in Hampton at the time, and I, we lost power for like 30 hours. Yeah, not that big a deal. There were towns in Maine that lost it for like six weeks, oh, but yeah. it was really fucking cold. And I was like, I don't want to live anywhere where if you lose the power, you could die. Right. So let's move to Arizona, and then. Turns out I can deal with New England winters better than Arizona summers. Yeah. It's just, it's just gross. Like the last summer, because I would come back here every summer for like a wedding or something. And the last summer I came back in August. Just couldn't pick the right lady. I guess not. No, I was like, eh, this one didn't take. Let's try it again <laughs> next summer. Uh, no, the last summer when I flew back into Phoenix, we landed at three in the morning. 97 degrees mm. and, and you know three in the morning is like the coolest time yeah. of day yeah. and I was like that's as cool as it's gonna get it's start and you know by five o'clock it's already over 100 and I was like fuck this this is God's way of saying don't live here right not welcome yeah um so what did you do after you came back from Australia uh, I did one semester at UNH okay and um you remember Jason Plant sure so we were kind of like... Just ran into Jason very randomly in Manchester, like maybe a month ago. Yeah, he's, he's kind of in this area. He lives in Chester, I guess. Yeah, it was yeah. the first time I had seen him since high school, though. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I haven't really... Uh, we recently reconnected, but since then it's been a, a few long, long gaps. Yeah. But anyways, he was, he was like... We were kind of bosom buddies in UNH. And uh, he was like, I want to be an actor. Let's just give up on college and go out west. And I was mm. like, I want to be a comic book artist. Let's do it. Yeah. So we moved out to L.A. together. Um, 
and promptly did extra work for TV shows and movies and delivered pizza and built vending machines and you name it. Like I did it. What time frame was this? Like late nineties? This, yeah, this was like 90, 98 to 2000. Okay. And while I was out there, I went to a whole bunch of schools. I went to, um, like some smaller schools that were focused on animation. Yep. Uh, I went to some schools where I learned digital arts. I went to like San Jose state university up in San Jose where I did illustration and art history stuff. And then finally I was like, all right, maybe I should finally pick a school that I want to graduate from. Sure. Um, and at the time I was living in, in the West coast and I was like, I want to go to either uh, RISD or this tiny school in Montserrat down in Beverly mass. Sure. And uh, RISD, even though I had like four or three plus years of college under my belt, they wanted me to go to a summer program where I could learn not to eat glue and how to sharpen pencils and, I was like, you Those know, are important things to learn. Yeah, thanks. I don't think I want to spend you know right. twenty thousand dollars to learn basics. Um, and Montserrat actually had the same professors. They they taught both at RISD and at Montserrat. Interesting. I and they were willing to not only accept me, but they were willing to take uh, a course I took because I was studying languages. I was taking Japanese. They took that as my English requirement. They're like, all right, you don't have to take English because you took Japanese. Because it's basically the same Cause thing. Because, yeah, it's a language. They're both sounds that come out of people's mouths. I mean, not to knock Montserrat. I loved it. Yeah. But it's an art school. It's not a liberal arts college. Right. So they have one class called science. Right. And that's your requirement for science. That's where your they science. teach you that fire is not alive. Oh, debatable. And they debated it. <laughs> there were people who are strongly in, in favor of the fact that fire is alive. Yeah. Which... Yeah. Howl's Moving Castle. There's some. There's some live fire. I've seen it. I. It's. It's one. I think I have. Yeah. It's one of the. Yeah. I was gonna say more recent Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Ghibli. I don't know how to say it, but it's. It's like probably, a GIF GIF. Yeah. It's probably, ten, twelve years ago now. Um, uh, it's one Maybe of, it's Spanish. Maybe it's Ghibli. Could be. Studio Ghibli. Um, yeah, the Japanese often use Jap- uh, Spanish names. I mean, they stole Chinese, right? Like, sure. That's how they get their written language. Yeah. Um, yeah, I almost... Montserrat was one of the short list of about four schools that I oh, almost cool. went to. Yeah. There's that... There was a lot of Exeter people that ended up going there. Really? Yeah. Huh. I couldn't name even one, but... Right. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I almost went there, and I almost went to where I... I actually was enrolled, uh, was the Art Institute of Seattle. And then, oh, cool. But this was pre, like, it was right before the internet was, like, getting going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the internet existed, but at that point, nobody was really using it for what it was used for at the time. I mean, this is 2000, I think, because I took, you know, several years off. And long story short, they didn't. I had sent in my course selections, but they had misplaced them, saying I never sent them. So I was going to be put on a waiting list for my classes because they were, like, full. So, like, you know, the first two weeks, um, we can't officially let you be part of these classes until, some, you know, whoever drops. And then if there's room, I was like, I'm not packing up right. my entire life to just do And it was funny because they admitted to, like, they... 
you know, this was us going back and forth on the telephone for weeks, and mm. they admitted to have, they found my paperwork after oh, the fact, wow. but they still wouldn't, like, add me to the classes. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, did you graduate from Montserrat? I did, yep. Um, so, I had a great time there. Uh, learned a shit ton. Um, thought I wanted to be a teacher. So I got my teaching certificate. Our teacher? Yep, specifically. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I did all the requirements for that. So I graduated with a BFA in illustration. Yeah. Um, and then I promptly did not teach. Right. And then Plus eventually I did go back taught. to teach, actually. I taught college. Instead. Oh, okay. I was going to do elementary. Um, but I, I went back to Montserrat and taught a few years there. Interesting. Yep. Um, was that when you were teaching, was that your sole like vocation? No, it was just sort of a, a one course per semester. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think after graduating, I, I tried to do, I got my first actual job, my first illustration job, like um, a year before I graduated. So I was technically a professional, I guess. Yeah. Before I graduated. What was that for? The first thing was, uh, it was for the Union of Concerned Scientists, okay. and it was a cover for their magazine, I think it was, I think the magazine was called Catalyst, I think it may have changed since then, but it was an article about uh, the U.S. walking out on climate, uh, climate change talks. So I did an illustration of like, you know, all these world leaders inside, and then like the Uncle Sam character kind of like leaving the building. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, it's horrible. But at the time, I was so proud. Sure. Like cover. And, you know, do you, do you got still, paid for it. Do you have a copy of it somewhere? Oh, yeah. I've got I mean, digital copies of everything. Sure. Um, yeah. Most of the actual things I just burn, just because I feel like I need to release their spirit back into the world. Oh, yeah? And also just to forget if I ever did them. <laughs> you know, early stuff is horrible to look at. Yeah. It's, I mean... I've every once in a while I'll have an experience where, especially with social media, where um, because I post a lot of artwork, uh, and then particularly like Facebook, it'll do the one year ago to right. two years ago to, and sometimes, and also I have enough artwork that's living on walls of people I know, and every once in a while someone will post a picture of it, and there's sometimes where I'm like, yeah, yeah. but then there's sometimes there's something something that I did like six or seven years ago, I'm like. Huh, that's actually pretty good. I have no idea how I pulled that off six <laughs> years ago, uh, because, like, I feel like particularly with like anatomy and stuff, I have a much better, you know, like grasp on on it. And I'm like, how did I pull that off six mm. years ago or whatnot? But you know, uh, there have been a couple times where I've gone to people's houses who have had my art on the wall, and I've been like, can I take this and redo this for you? It looks terrible, but everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I love that, and I'm like. You're a fool. <laughs> uh, I think it was, I always forget, I think it was Sargent who used to do that. Yeah. He would sneak into like actual museums and like keep working on stuff even after it was hung. That's interesting. Yeah. I, um, I mean, you've done way, way, way more commissions than I have. I mean, I mean, the bulk of the art that you create now is commission work uh, I mean on to, to some level isn't it? I mean you have yeah uh, what you know I was over here about two weeks ago 
and you were working on a bunch of illustrations for a company, right? Um, the, the employee illustrations. Um, did you get all those done? Yep. Um, it never ends, though. That yeah, one, that one just keeps coming. But, well, know. and it's a, it seemed like it was a good sized company, so whenever they get new people, I would imagine right. they send you a batch of. Uh, but um, I, you know, I, I, I did I did an album cover. Uh, I've done a couple now, uh, so if the person who I'm speaking about is listening, they don't know that if I'm talking about them or not. But I did an album cover that I spent a lot of time on, like way more time than I thought it was going to be, mm. which was fine. It was a learning experience for me. I was happy to do it. And, you know, it was one of those things that um, they had approached me and, um, you know, friend of a friend type of thing. But it was one of those things that it was it, it was a lot harder than what I, like if it was something that I had been working on on my own I would have scrapped it and mm-hmm. be like fuck this uh, but because it was a it was a project that I was getting paid for I had to fall through and ended up I mean legitimately probably putting about forty hours worth of work into this mm-hmm. painting it was also the biggest painting I had ever done um, and. I was content with it at the end, and you know the, the the person who picked it up seemed happy with it. You know, it ended up being the album cover, so cool, yeah. good enough. Yeah. But it was one of those things that I had to kind of let go because I was disappointed that I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I don't love everything that I do. Right. You know, right. I mean, I. It, at this point, I've gotten to the point where I'm happy if I don't loathe everything that I that I do because there's some stuff that I'm like, oh god, what is it? But you know, um, is there like how do you when you're creating art for someone else that you're getting paid for? Like how do you decide like that's good enough? Or you know, is yeah. it, is it strictly a I can only spend so much time and then I have to move on type right, of thing. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mix, like you said. Um, as an illustrator, trained as an illustrator, uh, you learn first and foremost that deadline is key. Like, you have to meet the deadline. Right. If, if you become known as the artist who can't meet a deadline, you're not going to get hired again. So, I mean, you always have that kind of hard and fast line of like, all right, I have until like next Thursday to get this done. Yeah. As an artist, you tend to procrastinate, um, mm-hmm. which is partly just laziness, but I think also it's just time to ruminate. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there's a lot of like pre-planning that goes on in your head beforehand. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a, a, a balancing act between like does it fill the needs that the, the um, client asks for? Does it cover all the bases? Uh, do you think they're going to be happy with like the quality of it? And then do I like it? And there's like a lot of forces at work there to kind mm-hmm. of like find the happy balance. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's rarely been a, a case where I've missed a deadline. Um, sometimes I've had to push them a little bit, but a lot of times that's because client feedback. I mean, that's the other thing about being an illustrator is like, you're not in charge. You think mm-hmm. you are, but it's like, right. I did a, a cover for highlights for children pretty early on in my career and I regret it ever since like I mean it was great I loved it and um, it was so cool to do something for a company that's so big and it's been around forever 
but my God, so many changes. Really? So many voices that had to be heard, like people worried about this, that, or the other thing, and they had committees that had to meet and look at the artwork, and there was a point where there was like um, an animal that was part of the scene, like a hamster or something, and they're like, oh, no, the hamster can't be free, it can't be loose, it's got to be in a cage. And it's just like, really? Like, this is what you're worrying about. Right. And they didn't was, have any problem with Goofus and Gallant blowing each other, did they? <laughs> I didn't do that one, oh, so I, I have no say. No, I, I wish, but no, that wasn't, that wasn't my handiwork. Uh, but I remember, like, the 18th back and forth, and I'm just like, why am I doing this? There was, there was this main girl who was like, it was like three people in, in this scene, and there was one girl, and they were just like, her smile... It's not happy enough. It's too happy. There's too much teeth showing. Hmm. And I had erased through the board that I was drawing on so far that it actually created like this big dip, dip huh. in the paperwork that I was So it was all doing. like, it, it was a physical illustration. It wasn't Back in the day, yeah. yeah, I was all all physical. And yeah, uh, yeah like it took forever, but that was the way I did it. Sure. It was like pencil on board and then acrylic and then, yeah, any changes was... was torturous because I would have to mix the paint to match it. Sure. Like, yeah. Oh, man. And acrylic, you know acrylic, like it dries so much darker than it goes on. Sure. And it's just a nightmare. But, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, it's definitely like that one, I was happy with the way it turned out. But I, I think oftentimes with clients, you just have to bite your tongue. Mm-hmm. And just try to suggest as much as you can what it should look like. But it, in the end, it's kind of up to them. Like, they're not going to pay you if they're not happy with it. Sure, sure. Um, so you just have to do what they tell you. Have you ever, you know, and obviously you don't have to get specific, uh, but have you ever had a commission work, you know, commission piece something, or job that you spent so much time on it that you get to the point where you're like, this is not even worth what I'm getting paid to do it? Yeah, yeah, especially early on, because yeah. um, I like to think that you know I've been doing this long enough that I can, I can work pretty quickly. I can, I don't have to do a, like fifty revisions. I can kind of nail it pretty quickly mm-hmm. on. But yeah, there are, there are times where you're just looking at your hourly rate and you're just like, oh my god, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you now? Is that how is that how you do it? Are you per job? Is it pretty much an hourly rate or? Um, Again, the illustration world is really wonky. Um, So their price structure is based on usage and client. Mm. So if I do the same logo for two different clients, one of them is like a mom and pop shop whose distribution is like 20 people. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to charge them as much as I would like IBM for the exact same artwork. Sure. Um, That makes sense. So to say it's hourly... Kind of, like I can kind of gauge how long it'll take and then I say, you know, how much I want to get for that. But a lot of times if the company is big enough, they will just tell you this is what we're going to pay you. Mm -hmm. Take it or leave it. Um, Yeah. And those are the ones where you're just like, all right, I want to get this done. So I recoup. Has your your experience with those type of situations that they're paying, like what they're offering is more generous than what you would have asked or kind of on par or? Yeah. Yeah. so there's there's uh, there's subtlety in negotiations. Sure. Um, you, I've learned that you almost always try to get them to name the price first. Sure. Because uh, there's been times when I have suggested a price and then they very eagerly say yes, 
and I'm like, oh, oh shit, I could have done more. I probably could have doubled it. Right. Um, but then there are other times where they'll name the price and it'll be way too low, and I'm like, sorry, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I may have forgotten what the gist of your. No, 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 that's pretty. That's okay. pretty much what I was okay. what I was wondering because, and again, I'm you know most of the commission work that I've done up to this point has been with individuals and it's usually, it's not for commercial use for the most part. It's just someone wants a picture, right? you know, and I'm always, it's always curious to me because I will, you know, uh, you know, someone will ask me what I charge and then, and I usually to kind of head off the whole, oh, do you give a discount for, you know, and not that many people ask to be honest with you, but I, you know, I will tell them, this is the price that I'm giving you, you know, this is my friends and family price right. type of thing. Right. And some people are like, oh, wow, that's, that's way cheaper than I was expecting, which is fine. It's when, because I, I feel like my prices for, you know, particularly for original art, not a reproduction or anything, um, are very reasonable. And then I'll tell someone, they're like, okay, that's a little more than I wanted to spend. Right. And I'm like, have you ever bought original art before yeah and that's just it like people don't realize and i think and i think a lot of people in that instance are expecting me to be like oh i'll just do it for free for you you know and which you know and and there have been cases where i've you know gifted art to people but that's usually not when they're asking it's something that i've created and then they're like i really love that one and you know i've had it sitting around for a year and a half i'll be like just you have it. I'd right. rather, I'd ra- you know, because I don't really hang much of my own artwork uh, where I live. And, you know, there's only so much room to just stock Store piles. Things, stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'd rather it be sitting on someone's wall where someone can sure. enjoy it. But, you know. Yeah. Of course, I probably shouldn't be saying that I give art away all the time if I'm trying to make money. So if I just tell you I like the thing, but I don't have any money, can I just have have it? You're going to just store it in the basement anyways, right? Yep. yep. You just unlock the secret to to getting free Scott David Chase art. Uh, Although people, now, I think I told you before, like people trade stuff, particularly Star Wars stuff, and I used to just take whatever and then I'm, you know go through it after they've gone and be like, oh, it's a lot of good stuff, but it's mostly, it's mostly prequel stuff that they give me, which mm-hmm. not interested at all. And also, we had talked about the Funko Pops. People try and give me those mm. all the time. And I, ugh. I mean, you've got, you've got a collection of the, the, the doors, which is, I forget which company makes that. It's uh, still Funko. Is it? Yep. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Because Dorbs, I believe, I don't know if it still is, but it, it used to be a Walmart exclusive. Um, they've got exclusives for everyone now. Like, they've got a Walgreens exclusive. Right. They've got, yeah. that, that's one of the things that's interesting to me because um, of, like, the modern action figures that I collect. The, the two, like, modern lines that I collect are the Star Wars The Black Series. Okay. And I don't know if you're familiar no. with that. The, the six-inch Star Wars figures that they're... It's weird because they, you know, they still do the three and three quarter scale figures, right. um, but the black series is kind of taken over, and they're, you know, it seems like in the last fifteen years or so, the six inch scale 
has really been what like the adult collectors go for because you can just get more detail and articulation. Your eyesight is starting to go. So. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. When we're in our seventies, yeah. like, oh, I collect those four <laughs> foot tall action figures. Like, no, those are just midgets that are in your house now. But um, is that and then the Mar- Marvel Legends figures, which are also they're the exact same size and they're made by Hasbro as well. Yeah. But um. Of all the retailers out there, like Toys R Us generally gets uh, an exclusive like once a year or something, mm-hmm. but Walgreens gets exclusive figures for both of those lines. And I'm just like, what about the adult toy collector made you like think, oh, we got to use Walgreens as like, you know, like. Yeah, when I'm there getting my, you know, foot cream or whatever. Right. Like, because whenever I hear, whenever there's a new exclusive figure out, like, I'll scour and and because Walgreens is not a place that really gives a shit about that stuff. So right. like, if they have them, it's just like, oh yeah, it's this weird one aisle of stuff that we do. So I'll go like stop at all these Walgreens trying to find this exclusive, and if I buy it, I always get looks by it because it's usually <laughs> like a lady in her sixties yeah. working the register, and she'd be like, oh your son must be very excited. I'm like, I don't have children. <laughs> God damn you. Yeah. Because uh, I've been looking for the the Walgreens exclusive Black Panther figure for like uh, three weeks now, haven't found it yet. I'll keep an eye out. But I appreciate. No that. worries. <laughs> I appreciate. It's I don't know. It's just such a weird thing that like, and it's been going on for like seven or eight years where they do the Walgreens exclusives. And I mean, I've seen the the, the pops that have the Walgreens exclusive sticker, right, right. but like the pops now, every store that carries them seems to have their own exclusive. I mean, you know. Um, Michael's has an exclusive, uh, you know, uh, GameStop, all of those have that. And it's all just like, I I look at the Pops things, like I looked at Beanie Babies 15 Mm. years ago. I'm like, oh, so this is what landfills are going to be made of in the next 20 years. (laughs) Because also everyone I know, uh, because like, you know, I was saying you have the the huge collection of Dorbs, but they're all on display out of the box up in your, your workspace. Um, just to be fair, I do collect Legos and other things. That's not just no, the no, dorbs. no. No, I know we and, and as we were coming downstairs, I noticed you had uh, like three Rubbermaid bins with and the uh, the Infinity, the Disney Infinity characters. Yeah, I think those are really well sculpted. Uh, they're they're nice. I um, I've never played the game, but I like the neither am I. And that that was the one thing that was like it was a weird, it was a weird sort of. Yay! Oh, at the same time, when they canceled the line because they all went super clear, and so I bought almost all of the Star Wars ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, now if you because Toys R Us still has them because and they still have them priced at full price, but then like every other week they'll be like buy one. Like every month, it gets to be a better deal. It's buy like it was buy one get one free. Now I legitimately think it's like buy one get five free. And it's I'm like just honk at the store, we'll throw them in your trunk. Yeah, that kind of deal. but I'm just like, I can't justify throwing $15, because I'm like, even though if you break it down, if you're getting six figures, you know, it's it's you know it's like $2.50. Yeah. I, I don't see six here that I want at this point. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, if you price them at like 3 or $4, I would grab one or two of them. But sure. I'm just like, eh, whatever. I mean, I always feel a bit... Like shameful whenever I'm just in a Toys R Us at like 
nine o'clock at night just looking for stuff and people like because people always stop me and dude that's date night for us sometimes well you know that's because you found someone else who's like yeah this is awesome yeah but like for me it's just like you know like he was a loner he was always you know because i always get stopped and it's can I help you find anything? And it's not a legitimate, hey, can I help you find anything? Right. It's, it's like, code for, can you get out of yeah, my store? Could you, could, you, could you stop creeping out everyone who's here? <laughs> stop rifling through those Marvel Legends figures trying to find something. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, had some, I had one dorb, uh, which I don't remember how I got that. People, I mean, people would just leave random. I used to have a shared art studio space, and sometimes people would just, they're like, oh, I left you a bunch of toys, and I'm like, thanks. And like, I, so like, I have a, I have a Jesse Pinkman action figure from Breaking wow. Bad. Yeah. I, I literally watched like five episodes of that show, and I was like, not for me. I was like, I, I, I get why some people like this, and it's yeah. really well done, really well acted. I don't see how this would sustain my interest for five seasons. Um, but so I was just like, uh, I'll give this to somebody when I meet someone who's like, you know, someone that I know. Who's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I love that show. I'd be like, here you go. Um, I still have a Willy Wonka bobblehead that I have no interest in having. But which I thought of all the like bobble or not bobblehead, but the, the pop pop figure. It might be a because some of them are bobbleheads and some are just these weird vinyl just, figures. Some of them are just manufactured poorly. So the head falls a little. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, First of all, I, I, I fucking hate bobbleheads. Oh, uh, it's the worst. It's it's because it's it's worse than a, it's it's like the two worst aspects of an action figure and a statue. Because you can't really do anything with it, but it moves enough to annoy you. Yeah. Plus, they're like they're just mocking you, right? Like, yeah. They're just like yeah, 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 buddy, yeah. And they're all the proportions are all off, and it's so funny because I know some people are like, oh, those Funko Pops are so cute. Um, I don't like the aesthetic of them no, at all. No, creepy. Yeah, I don't like them at yeah. all. Um, and their heads are all kind of like squared on the bottom. Yep. It's just weird it's jelly. A, it's a weird thing. I yeah. I mean, I've seen plenty of... Are you familiar with Sideshow Collectibles? Yes. Yep. Yep. So Sideshow Collectibles is like one of the like premier... Like, they say adult collectibles. They're fucking toys. Is what they, they're just really expensive toys. Right. Um and it sucks because every like I subscribe to their you know their newsletter yeah. and every month I'm like oh, I'd love to have that but each of their things is like between like three and six hundred dollars. There's an Iron Man bust. It's like a thousand bucks. Yeah, I'm just like I just want that. Well, one of the things that kind of was actually like it bummed me out, but it actually helped me in the long run was uh, there was there was an unboxed uh, unboxing video which. I don't know how that became a thing where it's just people taking videos right. of taking shit out of a box. Uh, but sideshow collectible stuff, like the busts and stuff like that, they're not assembled. Like, you have to put them together. Um, which, I don't even, like, it's not even on a laziness point of view. I, I'm like, if you're paying $1,000 or something, I would expect it to be, like, like, I would sort of expect it to, like, show up in, like, a wooden crate or something like yeah. that. And, you, you know, there's, like, you know... White gloves involved. And yeah, and you just take it out and put it on display, and there are people like, okay, so this goes in here, and I'm like, paying a thousand dollars for, and there's the potential for it not to go together right, or, but it's also it's not that sturdy a thing. Yeah. Um, but the I think the thing that bugs me the most is they have the premium format figures, which are like 
beautiful sculpts and like really detailed clothing, but they're they're not articulated. Mm. And I'm just like, it's like a seven hundred dollar in action figure. I'm just <laughs> like, but then they have like the three hundred dollar version, which looks really good too. Not as good as that, and you know the sculpt isn't quite as good, and it's a you know it's a fully posable figure. Right. So I'm just like, couldn't justify doing that. So no. there's there are a couple like big name actors and stuff that do video that have like posted videos that collect them and stuff like that. But the ones that creep me out are, are when they actually look like the actor. Yeah. Like, I just don't like that. Like, why don't I just get an action figure of you, not you playing a character? Right. I, I, I bet you that'll happen in the next, like, I bet you it'll happen in the next 10 years or so where you can buy like a Johnny Depp action figure and then like buy like the, Oh, Get the get the Pirates of the Caribbean accessory pack and dress them right. up like this or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, there's there's the um, God, who is it? There's a Japanese figure company that uses body scan technology, so it's not actually a sculpt. I mean, like there's not a sculptor creating it; it's all done in a computer, and they look incredibly realistic, but it's sort of off-putting. Um, that was the only I. I had had a um, had a good good commission job, uh, maybe nine months ago, and I treated myself and I bought the Boba Fett. Oh, it's the Bandai Figure Arts series. Oh yeah, yep, yep. And there's like it's like a hundred dollars. Um, and what's crazy is I bought it and then I found out two weeks later that they were because it was the Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett, and they were releasing a Return of the Jedi Boba Fett, which and I saw that, it, like, I, I'd seen those movies, you know, hundreds of times as a kid, and I never realized that Boba Fett's uniform changed between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, because it's all slight stuff. It's, yeah. like, the color of his jetpack and, um, like, the, the circles on his, like, shit that, who cares? Right. And the reason it happened wasn't, it wasn't a stylistic choice. It was, they lost elements of the costume between the two films and they just were like all right let's do that and you know continuity back then was like six polaroids of the costume it wasn't everything wasn't you know meticulously cataloged so they're like yeah that looks like how it looked and now you know and there's been like novels written about what happened in the time between why you know it's (laughs) at least once a week because of the internet and stuff like that i just shout to the sky fucking nerds mm-hmm. you know it, you know certainly being one of them but it's so funny with you know people who are obsessive about stuff like that because the stuff that matters to us is so important and the stuff that matters to other people is so fucking stupid you know? right and I, you know I don't know how we get talking about toys I don't know because <laughs> they're fun yeah uh, it was funny. I um, where was I? like I. One of the fun things is you know my my youngest brother has a has a five year old uh four. Oh god. Uh, Don't worry, it's not being recorded. No one right, exactly. No, he's a five year old now. Um, and like you know, I can I, I get to buy him toys and stuff like that. But every once in a while, he'll see like an action figure I have and be like, oh, can I play with that? And I'm like, 
careful. This toy is not a toy. <laughs> See, I'm the total opposite. Like when I was a kid, like yeah. I didn't want anyone to play with my toys. Yeah. But we're we're collecting toys right now, and it's a mixed bag. Like I'm collecting them because they're fun and they're cool. Right. Also because I like having the stuff around, like just as visual inspiration. Sure. But also someday we're gonna have kids. Uh, probably fairly soon, and I just want them to enjoy them. Sure. My wife is totally different. She's like, these are staying behind glass. Yeah, they're gonna kids are gonna be told they do not play with these. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, they're they're designed to have fun with. Like, sure. You know, it's funny because I have friends who collect stuff. Who, you know, there's a couple guys that I know who are maybe a decade younger than us who collect all this Star Wars stuff and they don't open any of it and that you know because I I'm an opener yeah uh, for the there are a few things that like there's the NECA toys is well known for their like incredibly detailed sculpts and also how incredibly fragile their toys are mm. like all the videos I've seen of people posting them like like the elbows break off all the time and stuff like that and, but they also do such a bang up job of doing like really beautiful packaging uh, because there's very, like, it's, it's like a, a window box on all sides. Right. Like the only paper is the, the back of it. Um, and, but they do a really good job like photographing the toys so they look realistic on the pictures. And so like they did a series from Alien, Aliens and Alien 3 and I bought a bunch of them, but I kept those in the packages because... I mean, their figures aren't all that poseable. They're kind of, they have like two, two like standard poses and I'm just like, they look better. They're going to look better in the package than on a, on a shelf somewhere, anywhere else. And I also, I'm like, well, if I take them out to enjoy them, they're going to break. So, but for the most part, I'm, I'm an opener, but I I have a bunch of friends who like, dude, you can't open them. They're, they're not going to be worth money. I'm like, First of all, they're not going to be worth any money anyways, because the reason original Star Wars figures are worth money is because nobody saved them. We blew them up in our backyards and, oh, yeah. you know, shot them yeah. with BB guns. Yeah. yeah. And, and now that, you know, people get nostalgic for their adolescence and their childhood, they want to have those again and they're scarce. So the ones that are intact are worth money. Now everyone is in that like collector's mentality. Right. Everyone saves everything. If, Everything is readily available. It's not like it's not going to be worth money. And even the ones that are being sold now that are antiques or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. At least the ones I see, like on eBay, I'm like, oh, there's a cool He-Man character I used to like. Maybe I should buy that. Mm-hmm. It's like thirty bucks, maybe. Yeah. And it's like, all right, so you held on to this thing for twenty five years, right? And you... now it's worth three times what you paid for. What it. you paid for, it, which if you had opened it as a kid and played with it, you would yeah. have gotten well more than $30 worth yeah. of enjoyment on it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too, is I don't buy anything as far as collectibles that I don't want. I don't buy right. it as an investment. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Right. Um, one of the one of the things that... Like, you wanted all of those Barbies. Like, exactly. It wasn't an investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, well, this one, I could braid her hair. Yeah. And this one, you know. This one comes with a pony. Yep. Exactly. Um it's funny because it's funny that you say that because there's this new line that they just introduced of like Star Wars for girls, uh, which, which is, is just stupid. Yeah. Well, it's 
they're they're designed like fashion dolls, right? And it's basically there's like three different Princess Leas, and there's a, there's two different Rays, and one of uh, Jin or so from Rogue One, and then one of I forget the characters' names from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, I, I it's the animated the newer animated. Yeah, no, I, I'm familiar with it. The girl with the who wears the Mandalorian mask. Mm. Um, I can't remember her Blanking name. Blanking on her name too. Uh, but they're they have like fashion accessories and like yeah. whatnot. But they're like they have the the oversized eyes and you know it's just such a such a weird thing. But and like one of the rays comes with BB-8 and one of the layers comes with Wicket and one comes with R2D2 and stuff like that. But I'm just like, it, is there really a demand for this sort of stuff? Because the girls I know who play with Star Wars stuff, play with the same Star Wars stuff as, you know. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a manufactured demand. Yeah. And like, oh. Well, and, and, and Marvel got a, a bunch of backlash uh, for not producing really any, like, a lot of figures of the female figures since since they've been making the, the, the you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe m- movies. Like, it's really hard to get... Uh, like when they make, whenever they make Avengers movies and stuff like that, they most of the time they don't make any Black Widow figures and stuff like that. And there's a there, there's been a back and forth dialogue about you know, uh, well, female figures traditionally don't sell as well. But then the, the argument is, well, you don't make any, so that's what you know, right? Because uh, there was an article maybe a year and a half ago where a bunch of women that I know were. They're like, we, we need to boycott Marvel or Hasbro for not doing this. And I'm like, well, if you can't buy a product anyways, like, how do you, how, how do you boycott them? Right. But I was like, you know, in all fairness, these toys are available, but they're more expensive. And, you know, because, like, Sideshow made, made a bunch of them and whatnot. But, you know, I don't know. Fools. Well, fools. It's, it's one of those things that I look at it is if all the products for all the different lines of like franchises and whatnot were available when we were little kids, I'd be in heaven. Cause you can get basically whatever character you want. You can get it, you know, in from like two inches tall to like four feet tall, you know, however you want it. So right. like, you know, we're, we're in a, uh, an action figure Renaissance right now. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It makes me wonder too, cause I'm kind of moving into the 3d world you know, where we're going to be in another 10 years with 3D printing. Like, yeah. is it just going to be like, here's your action figure file. Right. Download and print. Yeah. It, I mean, I remember working at record stores 15 years ago when they're like, eventually it's going to get to the point where you can walk into a record store, pick the 15 songs you want and pay $10 and it'll print the CD right there for you. Obviously they didn't anticipate the way, you know, digital files were going right. to work. Um, but yeah, I wonder about that too. Like, um, like if you can just like, is it going to be in the next 20 years that everyone has, like everyone has a microwave now, everyone's going to have a, uh, you know, a 3d printer in their house right. and you're like, Oh yeah, today Hasbro released the new file for the new Wolverine figure. I'm going to download it and print up the figure today or yep. whatever. Um, have you done much with 3d printing? Just a little bit. Um, I feel like, honestly, it still has a lot 
of um, finicky bits, yeah. like for like the home user. Like it seems like even the best reviewed printers, they're like, well, you still have to, you know, use the right files and right. it has to be sliced right. And I'm just like, you know what? I just want it to work. Yeah. Like I don't want to be like a math science guy, like trying to calculate mm -hmm. this. But I do appreciate that there are like actual hubs now where you can like send your files to have them printed. Yeah. Like I've used Shapeways before where you can like upload mo uh, models and have them printed. That's cool. The quality to me isn't perfect, but it's it's really cool to actually like have an idea, build something on a screen and then have it mailed to you in like a physical form. Sure. Um, like I actually, I'm kind of in the background working on a board game that I want to actually make. And the reason I want to make it is because I want to make the little figures that sure. move on the board. Like, right. that's the whole reason for making this board game is to do sculptures. And I'm just really excited to, like, send these files and actually see them yeah. crafted. There is a, I was just reading about this this morning because there's a, there's a Portsmouth community thing coming up where they're offering a class in 3D printing. Mm -hmm. It sounded interesting to me, and they basically, because to me... The idea of 3D printing is still, like, fucking voodoo to me. Like, it doesn't, like, I don't know enough about it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm aware of what it is and yeah. how it works, but, like, the actual how it works is so foreign to me. Yeah. Till it still feels like magic. And I was like, oh, that would be interesting. But it was, it's like an introductory course, and it's a, it, and it's like a three-hour course, but it's $75 to take it. And, I feel, and they're like, we're only taking 10 people in the class and I was just like okay so is it just like a night or is it yeah it's yeah. just a night and, and they're like well, well at the end of it we'll, you'll, you'll be able to have access to the printer and print something out if you want if you bring in a file just that night or like just that night because yeah. it can take like hours to print something right and, and my thought was okay if I'm taking this class as an introduction like I have no idea if I'm just learning about it like right I don't know. I I was like, if it was like twenty five dollars, sure. But I'm like, seventy five dollars seems like a lot to yeah. to ask for. But you know, whatever. Is that? It's not through the makerspace, is it? It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. Because I did a course with them a, quite a few years ago, and I think it was like that. It was like twenty twenty five bucks yeah. to come in for the night, and it was like five of us, and it was yeah. very low key. Yeah. I mean, it would it it, it interested me on on some level, but. Again, the the price was just like for right. you know, for the for the curiosity factor, that there's a you know there's a certain cutoff with dollar dollar price. Sure, um, sure. But it's interesting because you were telling me that um, when you create art, sort of for yourself now, you're doing a lot of sculpting now more than anything else. That's um, yeah, and that's kind of like morphed over the years yeah um like i actually i i started out as a sculptor at unh okay um i was in the sculpture department doing clay stuff and wood and, and some metal and i've always kind of like enjoyed the physicality of making sculpture like yeah to me it just it feels a little bit more robust and i just enjoy like building something that's can stand on its own you can walk around um you can push someone into it and they'll you get could, hurt you could definitely impale your enemies on it yeah um, if art isn't killing people, then what's nah, the it's point? not doing its job. Um, but yeah, so I did some public art sculptures over the past few years, which was a lot of fun. And then that turned into a few commissioned sculptures. 
But I found that I really wasn't enjoying it the same way that I enjoy doing illustration for someone. Yeah. And I, I think it might be because the sculpture, you know, A, it requires maintenance. Like if it's an outdoor sculpture, like mm -hmm. you're kind of committed to being like, oh, yeah, I'll come and like fix the rusty bits. Well, you had the you had the ant that was in yes. Market Square. Which yep. how long was that up there for? Market so, Square in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah, so that was supposed to be up, I think, for like a month, but it turned out to be a really popular show. Yeah, with all of the other artists, so they left it up. I think like three months. Um, oh, that was it. I thought it was like at least a couple of years. No, yeah, everyone still is like, oh, is the ant still there? I'm like, that was 2008. It came down oh, like that one, a few yeah. months. Um, yeah. And wasn't there an issue with, wasn't there a part that kept coming off uh, or something? Yeah, it kept coming off because some drunk hooligan got on top of it and tried to rip its head off. Right. Which, you know, happens. Sure. Happens a lot. Sure. Uh, and you, you, is your sculpture still up outside the Children's Museum? In, yes. It's yep. a crowd, so right? a giant crowd yeah. in front of the Children's Museum. That's, that's a permanent thing, isn't it? It's... It's, it's an unspoken permanent thing, yeah. yeah. Like, I could be like, tomorrow I want it back, mm. and I could take it, but I would never do that. Yeah. Um, there's also a bike rack that I designed with the uh, junior high in, in Dover. Like, they came up with the concept, oh, and okay. then I built it. So it's like a little orange octopus that... Cool. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that. I don't think where the junior high is, actually, but, you know. Yeah. I probably shouldn't journey to it. Well, the junior high doesn't own. have it. The the um, children's museum has the bike rack, but it was with the junior high. Because they're bullies then. and they just took it from them. They're jerks. Yeah, they're like uh, they're really nice and polite jerks. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're great. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so the the sculpture stuff, uh, I wasn't enjoying doing it for commissions, um, also because they, it just takes so long. Sure. Like, just to build a big sculpture takes months and months and months. Um, and I just found that, like, I'm told what to do with my design work. I'm told what to do with my illustration work. I'm told what to do with a lot of things. Like, the sculpture, I want to just be me. Like, Sure. Because I, I don't really have the time or energy to create my own illustrations. Like, I've got tons of ideas. Like, let's do a children's book about X, Y, or Z. And right. I'll start it, and then I'll just get inundated with actual commissioned work. Right. Um, so all that stuff kind of fades. But the sculpture stuff, I'm like, I'm just going to kind of keep it pure. Like, it'll just be what I want to do with it. Sure. Um, you have published a book, haven't you? Yeah. So I've done a few um, children's books through various companies. Some have been, like, educational-based, you know, reading books, uh, learning English books, those sort of things. And then there was a children's book that I worked with a, a local author uh, publishing a few years ago. Um which was a lot of work. It was fun, but it was definitely something I would probably never do again. Yeah. <laughs> like Self-publishing, it's just insane. I'm at the, um, not the beginning stages, the artwork is done. Uh, I'm doing a book with someone, but uh, luckily he has published mm, before, nice. and I'm letting him handle all of that. Yeah. Uh, we are semi-self-publishing, but... He, you know, he has some publishers that he's worked with before. That's so good, was, yeah. You know, and it's someone uh, that I knew, you know, personally beforehand. Um, so I'm like, all right, you yeah. you handle that side of it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's uh, it can be beastly. This was actually back in the day, for me anyways, when um, when Borders still existed. Sure. So I, I 
got my book into like a few borders. Like they were super cool. They're all independently owned at the time. Oh really? Just, yeah. They were great. They were like, oh yeah, you know, if you want to sell your book, just bring us a box and we'll put it on display. And yeah, Barnes and Noble is very corporate. Like they're sure top down, which is probably why they still exist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it it kind of sucks because I loved Borders models uh, of like doing business because they were very user friendly. But I think it was almost too user friendly, and then mm-hmm. they weren't making enough money to survive. Because you know, I, I mean. I, uh, saw a comedian a decade ago that you know he's making a he had a bit about borders but he's like you know you can go in and you know like oh, i'm looking for a book on such and such for research and they're like oh if you're doing research just sit down here and you know you can read it and they're like well right. I, you know i gotta buy it they're like don't buy it sit here and read it you need a highlighter you know we can make some copies of some of the pages for you you know yeah but yeah it sucked because i really liked borders but um yeah, yeah. It's fewer and fewer and fewer bookstores, fewer and fewer record stores. Yeah, know. yeah. It's true. Um, no, I wish you. I wish you luck with the uh, with the self publishing. It's it's a beast. Um, I ended up doing school visits too, so I did like a lot of self promotion, which uh, kind of led to a weird path where I I would do school visits for the books. And then mentioned that I was a sculptor. Yeah. And then a few years later, I'm doing week-long intensives at a school building sculptures with the kids. So it was kind of random that it huh. sort of took that turn. That's kind of cool. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a lot of fun for a while. It was a lot of work. Um, but my God, working with with little kids and sculpture sculpting, like that is just like beautiful. Like, yeah. The kids are just like they can't wait to start building stuff. Sure. And so we did like a lot of recycled art. Like I'd be like, all right, like I'd send a notice out to the kids or I'd come in and do a day presentation and be like, go home, scour your basement, scour your garages, find all the crap you can find, bring it into the school. And then I would come back and it would just be this mountain of trash in the corner of the room. And then we would just build like dragons and kangaroos and giant spiders out of like whatever junk we could yeah. find. And, um, then have an art show at the end. That's awesome. And it was, it was so just, it was just, pure creativity it was just a lot of fun well that's the thing like every little kid that i've seen like every little kid loves to draw every little kid loves to create and i wonder and they're just like you they just want to give them away for free right (laughs) fools i did this for you here yeah um but i wonder at what point that is lost for so so many of it because I, you know, I hear from so many adults, the, oh, what I do isn't good enough. Right. You know, like, f- for who? You know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was Picasso who said he was always trying to get back to that childhood naive, naivete of yeah. being an artist and just, like, the free creativity. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like, for me, when I do it, like, and, and I think it's a big part of why, like, giving it away just like, eh, whatever, is the, the, the purest moment is in the creating of it. Yeah. Um, which, you know, even five years ago, if I heard someone else say that, I'd be like, you fucking pretentious fuck. But <laughs> it really, it, for me, it feels like the most freeing, like the me 
being the most me unfiltered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so obviously sometimes it's more that more than others that you know I really connect that way. But it's just sort of like it's just an it's you expressing yourself. Um, so you know, being able to make money off of it, you know, that's fantastic too. But it's sort of like a secondary thing. So yeah, and it almost in a way becomes like a curse. Sure. Because you're doing this thing that you did as a kid that you really enjoyed doing, yeah. and now it's almost like you're forced to do it to sure. pay your bills. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, you're you're one of the handful of professional artists that I know that that, that is your vocation. Um, I mean, you've been you've been working for yourself for how long? I, mean, uh, I think I've been self-employed as a professional full-time artist for about 15 or 16 years now? Yeah, yeah. Um, does that having it be your job though do you feel like has it sucked some of the joy out of creating or, or do you still get that from sculpting no i mean at times there are definitely jobs where i am just like you know because i'll get sucked into doing like graphic design layout type stuff and yeah. like you know for for whatever company they're like oh can you make this like web page look pretty and I'm just right. like, it's not really my thing but I'm a sucker for money, so I'll do it. Sure. Um, but having done it long enough and having developed a portfolio that is specific to me, people see my stuff, they're like, all right, that's that's you. Um, I tend to do things that I enjoy, and I when I enjoy them, I do them well, and that leads to more doing of those things. Mm -hmm. So I can, in a way, kind of positive feedback into what I like to do. Yeah. So, you know, like I did, I did children's books because, well, first I wanted to do comic books. And then I realized how hard it is to be a comic book artist sure. and also to make a living and also not to develop carpal tunnel syndrome in like a week. Sure. So I was like, all right, maybe kids books is where I want to, where I want to be. So I developed a portfolio around children's book art and some clients saw that, uh, and they're like, hey, we're not in the children's book world, but we like your style. Can you do our concepts this way? Uh, one, is which, one of which is the portrait people that I've done. Yeah. Um, they're in the healthcare world. It's a very, tends to be a very sterile world. We, they said, you know, we want it to be fun. We want it to be accessible. We like your style. Yeah. Make, make healthcare look like a children's book. Yeah. Which was great. So, I, you know, I would do like, pirate ships and like sharks and like really cool creatures that you would never think are part of the healthcare world. Sure. And the same with like the throwback beer company, you know, I did all their labels and, and it's yeah. like, it's these pictures are on a beer label, but they could just as easily be in a picture book. Sure. Um, so I do, I do enjoy that and I do get um, artistic satisfaction, I guess, out of, out of doing that. But it's only because I've been doing it so long that I can kind of, not really dictate, but through my work, I guess, lead people to want to pay me to do the things what, that I what enjoy doing. What you enjoy. Yeah, you yeah, for sure. But it's a long road to get to that point. Gotcha. Um, unless, you know, I, I kind of took the, the path of being a generalist when I graduated. Yeah. Like, there are people who are like, I'm going to graduate art school, and all I want to do is political cartoons, or all I want to do is... 
pictures of buildings or whatever. And I'm just like, all I want to do is survive as an artist. So I was like, I will do anything. I've done tattoos for porn stars. I've done like, um, you name it, I've done it. Uh, And I, if anyone asks, yeah, that's what I do. Sure. I'm an artist for X, Y, or Z. And um, yeah, eventually you just become, I guess, experienced enough to be able to just say, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to have to take every job. I'm going to trust that the work will come. Sure. And I'll, I'll have periods now where I'll, I'll go months without, you know, a job. And I've been doing it long enough that I know the jobs will come. So in the meantime, I will work on my own things or develop my own skills. Or, sure. Sure. Or just keep going. Yeah. Cool. Do you have, um, you have a website where people can see your stuff, right? Yes. What is it? My website is Walker Studio Works. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Or NathanWalker.net. Well, t- directly to the same place. Basically the same thing, yep. yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, it's been a while since I've checked it out because I think it needs to be massively updated. Well, um, I mean, honestly, I think the last time I was on your website was probably three or four years ago. Um, but I do remember it was at least a decade ago because I, I, was, I was running a a small record label at the time when we were doing a al- uh, tribute album and there was a frog illustration that I had reached I out to that. about. Um, that was it was at least like 12 or 13 years ago probably. That was a long time ago. Yeah, uh, I was living in Portsmouth yeah. in that tiny little studio. It was, uh, yeah, because I think I went over to your house yep. then. Um, but like at that point, you were one of the few people that I knew personally who actually had like a website of their own. Not mm. like the company they work for had a website, right? Like, you know, for what they did. So I was just like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, because it was a lot of your children's book illustrations yeah. and stuff like I've that. Had, I've had various websites over the years, like for all for art, but I've just changed the name. But I've yeah. had a website presence since I think 1999, maybe 98. Yeah. For my artwork, which going that far back but it was still like I was literally coding at that point like right. it wasn't even like drag and drop type right. stuff it was yeah. like shoot I missed a period now my website won't work right yeah yeah it's I mean it's crazy how easy it is to make a website yeah. now compared to back then right um, it's also gotten a lot more affordable too yes yep so well cool man this yeah. is uh, I have no idea how long we've been talking but at least Yep. Four hours. Yep. Yep. Um, no, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, Absolutely. I yeah, don't know if I gave you any useful information about art, but I I wasn't listening. Anyways. Okay. I just cool. tune out. Uh, <laughs> oh no, definitely. And like, you know, it's I've had some people listen to these, com- you know, some of these conversations that I've recorded, and then give me feedback and like, oh, it was really cool to hear about this. And I applied it in this way, um, so it's, you know, I guess, sort of living the life that I had hoped sharing these conversations will. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I certainly got some got some info out of it, so hopefully someone else will, too. Sweet. Yeah. And yeah. if not, it's a, it's a free podcast, so they get what they pay for. There you go. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet.